I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. Yvan de Batz is a social worker, a beer historian, and a brewer. He is one of the founding members of Brasserie de la Seine in Brussels, a brewery which set about trying to encapsulate the personality of an off-centre city in its beers. De Batz explains here how he believes that the liquid in the glass is a representation of the values of the brewer who produced it. In our discussion, we hear about the growth of de la Seine and their plans for the future, as well as learning of Ivan's thoughts on the evolution of beer styles and the way that they've been interpreted in countries around the world. We discuss the process in-house at De La Seine for developing the artwork on their labels with its inherent Zwanze humour, and talk about how their meaningful and sometimes controversial designs have garnered attention. Sit back, listen and enjoy Ivan de Batz of Brasserie De La Seine. We, we have started... Uh, basically at the end of 2003, around December 2003, we were then in the suburbs of Brussels in a small village in Flemish Brabant called Simpetersleeuw. Uh, we found a very small, tiny location there, like 200 square meters. We made a brewery from uh, second-hand dairy tanks. It was very small batches, like four hectoliters a batch. And we could stay there until December 2005, uh, the place where then uh, way too small. And our dream, my business partner Bernard and I, has always been to install our facility in our city, Brussels. Uh, at the time, it was very difficult uh, to do that, so it took us three years for finding the proper location. Uh, proper meaning for us affordable, because we started really with zero money and suitable for um, a bring facility. Then one year for finding the money, the finances, and then one year of building works. That has been 2010, actually. Finally, we could make the very first batch, um, 100% made in Brussels, on December 22nd, 2010. Um, it gave our anniversary beer the Brussels calling, actually, which we make again every December 22nd each year. So you see that as your kind of uh, anniversary or your birthday? Yeah, then. exactly. Yeah. But going back before that then, I mean, the, the, the founders are yourself and Bernard Lecoq? Bernard Lebouc. Lebouc. Lebouc, yeah. And um, where did you guys meet? Uh, it was a sort of a happy Brussels accident, if I may call it like this. Um, I was at the time a social worker and Bernard... Uh, was uh, a squatter. Um, this guy, every time he saw an abandoned building, he was the first one to break the door and to install his new nest in this abandoned building. And um, and I was humbering at the time. He was humbering in the cellar of his squat. And we met in a um, quite famous uh, Brussels event that takes place every two years. It's called the Zinneke Parade. It's a sort of a walking carnival, let's call it. It's like not this. a beer event, it's a city event. Yeah, definitely. With uh, It's a social slash uh, cultural event with a lot of artists involved and social workers as well. And we met uh, at the end of the parade, which I was making with um, 
uh, youth houses I was uh, managing at the time. And um, Bernard was there with the people of his squad and actually was in contact with the organizers of this Zinnecker Parade and they asked him to make a special beer for this event. And that was actually the, the Zinne beer, or very uh, first beer or foundation beer. Uh, so I saw him from far. I, uh, I went to see that guy pulling a big trolley full of beer. He offered me one, then a second, then a third. We exchanged all mobile numbers and uh, it was the first meeting um, and we we didn't stop uh, be with each other since then actually and um, I mean do you have um, similar personalities or are you very different people I mean do you bring something to the brewery which complements each other that's exactly what it is we we, we have very different personal personalities and we complement each other but like perfectly uh, we, we have some basic important values that we share and that's the foundation of, of, of De La Seine. Um, but we are very different people and, and for good because uh, yeah it's thanks to that that we are where we are at now I think. So if you had to say the things that Bernard was good at that you're not so good at or the things that you're your strengths that maybe are his weaknesses what would you how would you describe the the kind of the yeah, for instance, he's, he's a very good manager. Um, he, he's, he's confident with numbers, for instance. I'm not at all. Um, and what I brought is that I had an education in, in bring and uh, more uh, experience, let's say, in bring, bring science, bring technology, etc. Uh, so it was just perfect, perfect match. And you obviously have um a respect for each other mm -hmm. that you kind of can get through difficult periods starting a brewery the challenges of growth you know just every day kind of the, the challenge of not making any money because all the the first profits they, they were directly reinvested in in equipment so we have both accepted to live without any salary for almost six years actually so it it, it definitely creates some very strong links um, so you, you mentioned then this uh, facility in St. Peter's Leo. Mm -hmm. um, did you guys work at uh, Brauerei de Ranke in Dottigny for a period before or after that? Um, I used to work at the Ranke as an employee for two years, but that was uh, in parallel with the building of the, the De La Seine, actually. Uh, and after that, I worked three years for Cantillon as an employee also, but it was two days a week job each time, and that was for those five years my only source of income, actually. And for the, the I mean, working at Duranka, you obviously kind of talked to Nino, mm. you you know, kind of maybe learned some things or discussed some things that were of benefit of to him as well. I mean, do, do you look back on that time fondly? Oh, yeah, de de definitely. Um, you know, for, for, for me, there are not many ways to become a brewer. In, in an ideal world, um, you should have an, an education in brewing and then an experience in another brewery. Um, and so I had the chance to, to study at the Brewing School of Brussels, Institut Maurice, mm -hmm. and then to, uh, to train myself at Taranke as, as an employee. And it's so important because there is a huge, huge gap between the theory you learn at school and the practice. And the gap is even... Um, higher when you come from home brewing to real brewing, actually. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of the, the equipment, dealing with the, the kind of the, the process? Yeah, the, the challenges are so different. 
uh, when you homebrew, you can miss a batch, it's not a big deal. You, you don't feel obliged to be constant in what you do. You don't have anything to manage, really. Um, and in, in a brewery, all those things are so important. Yeah. Um, what was your role at Cantillon in terms of you know, helping out and being an employee? As an employee, as an employee, I did um, everything but brewing. Uh, there is like a rule at Cantillon that only someone from the family is brewing. And during my time, it was Jean, and it is still Jean uh, today. Uh, so I was helping bottling, uh, managing the, the food beers, uh, filling the barrels after a brew, preparing the brew, like crushing the malt and, and wheat and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, cleaning, uh, everything I, I, I could. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good cleaner in a brewery, <laughs> even even in a limbic brewery. Well, that's probably what you spend most of your time doing in, in De La Seine. But I mean, it's it's um, a very different approach, somewhere like Cantillon than somewhere like De La Seine. Of course, you have to prepare sim- things in a similar way. To- but totally. But I, I've been involved with Cantillon way longer than that. I've been administrator of their museum for more than 15 years and guide there for more than 15 years. Uh, my, my relationship with Cantillon is something very deep and important in my life. Uh, the, 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 the biggest shock and, uh, on a positive way I've ever had was my meeting with Jean-Pierre Van Roy, the father of Cantillon, uh, back in uh, 1989, actually. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to visit them. It was my first time. I spent their, their hours, and I, I, I could chat with Jean-Pierre maybe for an hour or two, but within the five first minutes, he could transmit uh, to me his virus, his love for the good beer. And he teach me that behind any product, but let's talk about beer, there are some values. They can be good values, bad values, your values or not. And if it's your values and you think they're good, uh, it's worth fighting for, for uh, them. Yeah, I've mentioned, uh, I've heard you talk about um, how the beer is a sort of a liquid extension or a representation of you as a brewer and you as a Exactly, it's, it's liquid value. It, it, it has to be that, it should be that. Uh, but for being that, there is a very important thing that you have to find first is that uh, the, the brewer has to have a vision about beer. It's the vision of, of, of you have about beer that will allow you or not to put your values in, in, in that very beer. And, and I, I see nowadays a lot of people coming on the market with, with no vision at all, actually. They, they, they try desperately to make or to let make by someone else, if it's contracted, something that will sell, actually. This is not, for me, a sufficient vision for uh, entering the brewing business. Well, we're now drinking Talis Bulba, which is your kind of yeah, hoppy ale. Um, I mean, in, in a way, this is kind of a perfect illustration of the values that you have as a brewery. Mm. Yeah, so tell exactly. me a little bit about the construction of this beer, the flavor profile of this beer, and how it came to be. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good example of the way we we make beer because uh, it's it's sort of our defi- definition of beer. Uh, first off, and I say this as a very positive thing, it's a beer that is simple. The recipe is simple. The profile is quite simple. It's it's just one, one malt. We always mix two hops for bittering, two hops for for lagering, but uh, it's a, it's a product that is simple but not simplified, if I, if I may say. But it's funny that you have to almost clarify that it's not a negative thing. You know that, I mean, if you look at so many different sectors in the world, you look at music, you look at food mm. and beer, sometimes simplicity is you know, the best way and there is sophistication in simplicity. E- exactly. For me, it's always the best. And, and I don't like something that is 
too sophisticated. English language is, is a bit difficult for me when I use sophistication. You're doing because, great, Ivan, don't worry. <laughs> because I know that it's sometimes something quite positively seen in English, in French, depending on how you use it, it's... It's, it's, it's more nuanced. Yeah, it's more nuanced and, and a little bit negative. Uh, so sometimes sophistication means just too much things, too much details, and you lose the heart of your product in, 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 in this case. Um, so the, the beer for me is something that is meant to hydrate humans on a nice oil and water. It was born for that, uh, with that purpose, actually, on a, on a funnier way than water, because you have some alcohol, so, so you have some tonic properties coming from alcohol. doesn't mean that you have to be drunk with, with it, but it, it, it gives something more uh, than, than just water. And this is how I, I see it. And um, it's also a beer that is extremely, I would say, naked. Taras Bulba. It's a beer that is extremely hard to make because it's very light in alcohol, especially to Belgium standard. It's 4.5 ABV only. Uh, blonde, um, very nuanced, very subtle. And so if there is any problem, any defect, default um, in this beer... You're exposed. We are totally exposed. That's why I call this beer naked. And it pushes us and it obliges us to work the best we can, at, at least. Uh, and I, I, li I like that everyday challenge because believe me it's 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 like a challenge for every single day yeah i mean it's i think it's a beer that has kind of um uh, got you a lot of attention mm -hmm. it's um it's relatively dry it's um got uh, a nice sort of um, sh showcase for hops both in terms of bitterness and aroma definitely and, um, and, and especially noble hops because yeah. these are my favorite uh they are not the trendiest hops nowadays because everybody wants new varieties from the new world uh, I think because those hops, they are extremely evident, they have a very punchy flavor, so they can also cover a lot of problems in, in the beer, by, by, by the way. I prefer the ancient varieties because uh, they, they are extremely delicate, subtle, uh, you have some uh, herbal notes, some citrus. So you think that notes, some of the new, the new world hops are a little bit too showy? Yeah, for, for my taste I mean, at have least. You, have you used them before? Uh, yes, for our beers, our range of beer, we only use European hops uh, that I choose myself. Um, I buy them directly from the farmer, by the way. I do the hop harvest each season with them. But when we do collaborations, we are very open people. And uh, as an example, the last beer we released is a, a sort of a classic West Coast IPA uh, with a small Belgium twist because our yeast was used and there is a, a re-fermentation in keg and in bottle as well um, but that's when we do a collaboration and it has to make sense but for our beers it's only European hops and mainly ancient varieties yeah because in the collaborations you obviously want an expression of the personalities of both breweries of course so you're giving some yeah. of the process and also the, the kind of the, the, the definitely definitely and then it's a, it's a it's a way also for us to to try things that we would not have tried by ourselves and and you learn a lot by doing that, so it's it's always a very nice moment. And um, just to, to kind of finish on the, the origin story of the brewery, so effectively the founders are yourself and Bernard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, has there been a kind of um, a moving on in terms of who's now involved as ownership, as investors? Because obviously growth requires funding. Mm -hmm. So I mean, what is the makeup of the structure of the brewery now? Actually, it was uh, since since. Um, we moved. Uh, it, it's it's then that we needed some some extra money to be able to 
to, to build the, the, the company. So a part of the ownership is our families. Uh, we have a friend from America, we invested also a friend from UK and a friend from Japan. Uh, but uh, Bernard and I have the majority of the, the shares and so all the shareholders accept that it's our baby, we manage it like we want and I have to say they don't have to complain because of the, the money they invested, if they would sell the shares now they would make some 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 nice yeah. profit, I guess. So we, we have been very honest with, with their money, if I, if yeah, I may I say. Yeah, I get the impression that you're the type of person that wants to have control over the process, the oh, beers, yeah. the identity. And, and I think that you wouldn't bring people on board unless you trusted them as well. Mm, ex 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 exactly. It's people we know extremely well, of course, part of is our family. But some of the other ones, I could call them family as well, actually. Um, what about your own personal story? You mentioned there that you, when you met Bernard, you were working with youth houses. I presume that was some function of social services? Yeah, definitely. I used to be a social worker for five years. Actually, my, my first background is uh, political sciences and also work sciences. I have two masters in, in that. And I started as a social worker, but passionate by beer since ages, homebrewing and stuff. And um, then at the age of 33, I was fed up with my job of the time, and I decided to try to do something with my passion, and that's where I could uh, study bring at Murray's Institute. And did, did, the, um, did the kind of the study of the political and social science mm -hmm. um, and the subsequent work in the social sector, mm -hmm. do you think that has an influence on some of the personality of the brewery in terms of the names of the beers, the branding, the artwork? Uh, I don't see a direct relationship. It's, uh, it's more a mix of our personalities and, and also we are totally impregnated by the, the, the Brussels spirit and the type of humour we have here, for instance, which is called the Zwanze. We, we play a lot with that because it comes from our families. We are from here. I, I mean, it's, 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 so you it's both, in us. So both of you are Brusselaars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Echte, echte so you guys, uh, your, your first language is French? Yes. But you also speak uh, Flemish? Yeah, of course. It's, it's for me important and, and normal, and especially being someone from Brussels, to talk to uh, the Flemish people uh, in their language. It's... Uh, I wish everybody would do that and reverse in Belgium, we would have less problems. Um, it, and those problems give um, the, the label of Taras Bulba and the concept behind Taras Bulba. By the way, it's a political label that is mocking uh, the stupidity of Belgium with those language problems we have and that should not exist. Yeah, so explain a little bit the story of Taras Bulba and how it is kind of relates to the Belgian mm, yeah. story. It's, uh, it's complicated and multi-layer as most of the beer names we have and, and the labels we, we make. Um, so yeah, the idea is to mock do those problems that for us have been mainly created by our stupid politicians. We have unfortunately very low level politicians in Belgium. They are leaders of nothing almost and so they had to make up something to, to finally become leaders of something. And so they made up all those problems between the, the people. They did that so well and they've been so well helped by the media that what was something more or less theoretical uh, became the reality. And now the problem is, is, is real. Um, it's, it's less terrible than what people think, but it's, it's still there actually. 
And so to mock that, we have um, started from the, a novel written by Gogol, so it's Russian literature written in the 19th century, but it takes place in the 17th century. And in this novel, you have a guy from Ukraine, Taras Bulba, uh, is a um, mercenary fighting for Russia against Poland. So it's actually a religion war because in Russia they are Orthodox and in Poland they are Catholics and because of that they hate each other. Taras Bulba is a very bad guy, he has two sons and one of his sons falls in love with a girl of Poland. So the girl of the enemy, that's already terrible, but even worse, she's a Catholic. He cannot stand that. Unacceptable. Of course. And, <laughs> and to, um, to show his disagreements, he murders his son in front of the troop for making an example to the soldiers. That's the official version in the book. We have transformed that in the Brussels way uh, with the typical Zouan's humor I was talking about. And Taras Bulba became a local brewer, so it's, he speaks the local dialect, which is a sort of a Brabant Flemish kind of um, language. Uh, his son uh, married a girl from Wallonia. He's very upset, and to show his disagreement, he wants to pull a big barrel of beer on his head. And so we, we have written the beginning of the history on the label. It says, Awel merci, Taras Bulba is rusek van colère, zonne zone is me en Wallina getrouwd. And it means, well, Taras Bulba is very angry. His son married a girl from Wallonia. And up to the drinker to invent the end of the story. Okay, yeah, because on the illustration, he's holding the, the barrel above his head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the translation of, of Smirlap. Smeerlap is a strong insult in Brussels dialect <laughs> and Flemish, and it would translate something like a fucking bastard or something like that. Okay. <laughs> so it's a rude insult. Yeah. And did the kind of the inspiration uh, in the form of the Russian literature, mm -hmm. um, is that something that you guys looked around for or something that you had read before or that you it's, knew It's about? something that we had, uh, we, we had read uh, before. Actually, it's, it, it was Bernard's idea at, uh, at, uh, at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, he told, and he was right that there, there was something in, in, in common and something to, 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 to say about it. Um, but we, we, we talking about Russia in, in general, in, in our, you know, on our design, you see a lot of influence from Russian propaganda. It's actually a mix between um, Art Deco, the graphic line of Art Deco, 1930s, and Soviet propaganda. Um, I mean, your artwork um, is pretty iconic, I think, um, now that people have come to know you. Um, and you have a very strong visual house style or brand. Mm -hmm. uh, Jean Huvertz yeah. is your kind of house artist. Yeah, definitely. And when, when did you come across him or when did you meet him and, and ask him about helping with the brewery? Because he's, he's uh, Bernard's cousin. Okay. So it's somehow made in the family. Yeah. And uh, we are extremely lucky to work with, with, uh, with Jean. Um, first off, he is hugely, hugely talented, and honestly, we owe him a big part of our success. But on the top of that, he's a very, very nice, beautiful human. He's a very nice person. And we are sharing the, the, the same values. So how, how do you go about designing a new label? You obviously come up with the concept of the beer, mm -hmm. and then you need to give it a visual identity. So is it a case of getting uh, Jean involved early, or is it we send him a brief and he interprets what well, it really depends. We have different ways. Um, sometimes we come with, with a name and a concept that is very clear and obvious. Sometimes we are a bit lost and, and he is a huge support for us. So he also has a creative contribution to the... Oh yeah, to, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sometimes he will, I, I will tell him about the beer and if it's a collaboration, what happened, who is the guy who brewed with us, etc. And then he will start making some sketches 
Um, and and, and that, that's, that would be the first step. Then together we'll uh, think about a name that would make sense. It has, if, if possible, in an ideal world, uh, it's multi-layer of uh, senses and it has to be at the same time a little serious but mainly funny. Yeah, there, there's certainly humor in the labels but also some meaning. Yeah, um, and, but that's the summary of the Brussels humor as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 very atypical for for Brussels. Mm. Um, has there been any controversy about any of your labels? Uh, yes, a funny, ridiculous one was uh, about our triple de jambe de bois. Um, that shows actually the Belgium. It's tribute to one of the leaders of the Belgium Revolution back in 1830. His nickname was Charlier Jean de Bois, wooden leg, because he lost the leg during Napoleon War, whatever. But on, the, the label shows the Belgium revolutionary people fighting against the Dutch army uh, with a cannon, and, and, and so you see a, a cannon shooting on the, um, the Dutch guys. Uh, but of course, it's uh, it's it's art. It's a wonderful label. Um, but we we had a, a request from Sweden uh, to export that beer over there. But the Swedish authorities said, no, 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 you cannot sell that beer because this label is is, is showing so much violence that that, yeah, it's that like you war know, propaganda. Yeah, it's it's so ridiculous because you you should see the the, the label. It's, it's just a beautiful piece of art and it's mainly funny and, and it's of course not at all aggressive or, or violent in itself. I mean, I mean it, it, it means some, something and it's, it's so obvious. And they, they, they asked us to change the label, we said no. <laughs> we prefer not to sell that, that amount of beer and it was a big amount than changing that, no, no way. That's the funny, ridiculous, pathetic thing that, that happened. But there, is a, the, the, there have been a more serious one. Zwarte Piet. Uh, with Zwarte Piet, yeah. So, but, that but was some for, years for people ago. That, that aren't from Belgium, mm -hmm. that don't know the history of Zwarte Piet, maybe you could also kind of give some background to that. Yeah, uh, actually, it's quite a sensitive. Also, uh, yeah, you 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 you're right, and we didn't realize that because for us it, it belongs to our culture, uh, and, and and the the meaning of all that is totally different. We we have seen a huge cultural gap between us and the and the Anglo-Saxon countries, for instance. Uh, basically, uh, Zwarte Piet is uh, Black Peter, and he's supposed to be the assistant of uh, Santa Claus. Uh, is it Santa Claus? Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Yeah, something different, but the, again, the cultures are, are a little bit. Yeah, you guys mixed don't, up. don't don't have uh, Santa Claus. Doesn't exist. Uh, okay, yeah. so it's a sort of a Santa Claus that comes before Santa Claus, and he's a saint. He's a saint. And so when and, and he goes through the chimney to bring a uh, gift to the children, and because he's a saint, when he goes through the chimney, he he, he will leave the chimney uh, immaculated, uh, with no dust or anything uh, dirt on on him. Uh, it's normally he's a saint, but of course his assistant, who is not a saint, he goes through the chimney and he gets very dirty and he gets a black uh, face because of the smoke of the of the chimney. And originally this guy is a white guy. Uh, nothing to do with any African guy whatsoever. But that's where the controversy but, comes in because the the kind of history of center class people would argue is that there is an element of slavery involved. Yeah, but I, I'm not a specialist in the question, but I really don't think that. I think it's just the the, the image that has been given through the time to the assistant of, of Saint Nicholas and uh, at a certain time of their history he was depicted as being a black guy actually. But originally it was definitely not for, for, for sure. Um, so, and, they, and, and they, they, they might have had some some 
racist-like imagery at some point. Yeah, it was but to do with the sort of sub subservient imagery of what appeared to be a, a black guy with this kind of white towering superclass. Mm, well, of what, course. What, what, um, what reactions did you get to the, to the, to the design? I, I have to explain the design. It's and it's once again without showing it, it's difficult <laughs> because it's it's very political and very multi-layer. Uh, you have to imagine for the ones who would know the very first cover of Tintin in Congo. Uh, I mean the very first cover, because there is one that is coming after, which is more famous, but we took the very first cover. You see Tintin uh, in the jungle with his little dog Bobby, and hidden in the bushes, a lion ready to attack them and to eat them. And I think uh, the dog is called Snowy in the okay. English-speaking world, and okay. Tintin is called something else in Belgium. Uh, it, no, it's oh, it's uh, it's Tintin in French. It's curfew uh, in the Netherlands, and Bobby is probably the name of the dog in Netherlands in Flemish language, yeah. and and Snowy, so which I don't know, is in, in English. Every, what, in every language is a different name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, whatever. And our idea was to mock mainly two things: uh, the colonialist past of Belgium, that is a shame for us, but nobody dares to talk about it. And also to mock that very comic strip of Hergé, Tintin Congo, because that was an extremely racist type of comic strip. And we just wanted to make fun of that, to, to mock that, that. And so we took the same composition, but for mocking uh, Tintin Congo, for talking, let's say, about the past of Belgium being a no full colonialist country, and also to mock uh, the crazy uh, institutional situation of Belgium with the three communities and, and, and regions and, and the, the, the mess that Belgium is, actually. And so on our label, Tintin became a black explorer uh, that is visiting Belgium, that is a huge mess, a jungle that no one understands. So they have to send explorers to, to try to get to get the country, actually, basically. Um, he doesn't have a dog, but he has a little rooster uh, who, who looks very stupid and is the symbol of Wallonia. And hidden in the bushes, there is still a lion, but because this is the symbol of Flanders. On the background of the jungle, you see the atomium, which is a symbol of Brussels, showing that Brussels is there in the middle of, the, of this jungle crazy country. And of course, the Flemish lion is, is uh, ready to attack uh, the Wallonian rooster, to eat him, etc., etc. Et it's just a funny way to make um, jokes about, as I said, the crazy situation of our crazy country. And so, as you can see, it's totally multi-layer, but it's totally an anti-racist label, for, for sure. We wanted to mock Hergé. Hergé is still a cult guy here. Uh, he's, uh, he's actually a human. He's not totally black or white. It's the case, the, the good moment to, to, to say it, but, but it's, it's so true. And we wanted to show that this guy have had very bad moments, and, and we wanted just to make fun of that, and, and making fun, fun of, of our country at the same time. And the, the very funny thing is that among the African community in Brussels, uh, this label w has, has become a cult label. And we have had so many 
black families coming in brewery to congratulate us and saying, wow, guys, thank you. Because for the first time, you dare to talk about that, that colonialism. Yeah, you're, you're opening stuff. up a discussion that people kind of don't really want to have. Exactly. And they were so, so happy. And many of them, it was families, they bought posters we made of that uh, to hang in the, the, um, the room of their children, actually. Then at certain point, um, we had to tell them, I, I will explain why, oh, we will have to stop making that label. Oh no, that's too bad, they were so disappointed. But, but why did we stop? It's because we have had uh, actually three, and only three, um, emails insulting us and treating us uh, racist. One was from a British guy living in the Netherlands, another one from a Canadian guy, another one from an American guy. And those guys basically said, oh, we love Delacene so much, but uh, no, we'll never drink your beer again because you are fucking racist, it's a shame, blah, 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 and stuff. They didn't get that it was humor, and it's second-degree humor. Uh, sometimes it's third- or fourth-degree humor, but that's the way we Belgium, it's, it's uh, very ma Belgium. Ma make fun. Uh, it seems that for those guys, humor is only first-degree, but we don't make jokes like that here. It's not culture, <laughs> cultural. And, of course, um, we replied to them. I replied to them a very long text explaining exactly what, what it was. They all apologized. And they, they actually, I think they felt stupid for not understanding because it was so obvious. I, I mean, we were like in 2014 or some, something like that. Which company would dare to label something with something racist in 2014? I mean, even you, if you are uh, an asshole racist guy, you are not stupid enough to do that if you have a company. But for them, it was difficult to understand. But, um, but we said, okay, those guys at least they dared to write us, it was insulting, but they dared to do it, to do it, to do it and they allowed us to reply. And, and so I, 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 I said to them, thank you, because at least... There you, was a discussion. You, you are not hating us in the shadow. But we thought that many people would do that, maybe, not giving us a chance to, to, to explain. And that was too much of a risk for us, because we accept to be insulted by many ways, but certainly not racist, because it's exactly the opposite of us. And so for the first, and I hope only time in our life, we decided to go backwards and to change the name of that beer, actually. And so it, become the, it became the Brusselaire, which is very funny, nice label, but it's not at all controversial. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was too much. All this um, artistic interpretation and talk of politics um, brings me to want another beer, so maybe we can open the Zinnabeard and try Sure, it. yeah, definitely. Good idea. Thank you. Um, so obviously you're a, you're a brewer, um, but you're also a writer. Uh, yeah. Um, so you've um, you you worked with uh, Joe Stang on around Brussels and Eddie Beers. Yes. You've also mm -hmm. contributed to a number of other texts which have been sold in the U.S. and I mainly mean, in the U.S. a little bit in Britain. Yeah. So and I think I read an interview where you said that if you weren't brewing, you would probably be writing about beer. Yeah. Ex so exactly. Tell I me a little bit about kind of about that part of your life or that kind of you know. Because you're also kind of a beer historian as well as a writer. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's actually my, my, my passion, and I, I suppose I must have a psychological problem because my passion is related to my job, and I, I think it's probably not very healthy for your uh, 
mental, but wh whatever, I cannot help it. And indeed, beer history and history of brewing is, is my, my huge passion. Um, I'm constantly reading old brewing treatises. Um, it's the most fascinating thing to do for me because it's, it puts you in relationship with people having the same jobbing of the same trade as, as yours uh, from 100 years before you. And you kind of um, understand the, the challenges they were living, and it's actually very close than yours. So there's a connection there. It's it's a it's a fantastic way, as you say, to connect with people you have never known uh, that lived way before you, actually. And another thing that I think is so fascinating: um, many people in in the bring business and beer business in general think that everything has been invented. Uh, last year or 10 years ago, a decade ago, wh wh whatever. But actually, it's amazing when you go through the ancient knowledge to see the level of knowledge of those ancient people. They, they maybe didn't know how everything worked on, on a molecular level or wh whatever, but they really knew how to make beer. <laughs> Believe me on that. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, about the technology they were using, even simple, how smart that, that, that was. About all the trials that have been made, we, we always think that uh, the new wave of brewers, I don't know what that means, but uh, some people think we are part of it, but I, I, I still don't know what it is, whatever. But innovation is the key word now in, 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 in the beer business. Um, and actually, there is no innovation. When you know the history... Your point you, is you, that it's all been done before. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, 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 and it's normal, because beer has been invented probably between 10,000 and 12,000 years ago. And, and it's a very long and slow evolution. And, and of course, most of the things that could have been tried have been. Yeah. Um, um, Joe Stang, um, you wrote the, um, the Around Brussels and Eddie Beers. He's also written The Good Beer Guide Belgium with uh, Tim Webb. Mm -hmm. What was it like to work with Joe on producing that book? Oh, it was very nice and convenient. First, Joe is a, he's a great guy. Um, so Joe is a journalist who um, is American, but has mm -hmm. lived in Belgium for a yeah, number of yeah. years in Brussels. But he is a very, very smart person, and he directly understood uh, the Belgium beer scene and the Belgium mentality and the Belgium culture, actually. So it was uh, very easy to, to work with him. Uh, he's also a hard worker, very well organized, and I have to say he did a, a, a big part of the job bigger than, than mine because I was busy building the brewery and brewing like crazy, so I had probably less time than, than, than he had for writing this book. And um, he made, I think, a, a, a great job. He's, he's also very, he's opinionated, but uh, it can be opinionated a very intelligent way as a journalist should be. So we'll always verify sources and uh, and, and balance uh, everything. So it's, I think, for, for me, he's one of the best beer writers that, that, that I know of, because it's, he's very, very serious. And the, the, um, the book was about cafes in Belgium, in Brussels, in Brussels. which is, um, yeah. of course, something also quite close to your heart, because I've, yeah. I've heard you again say that you'd rather drink a beer in a cafe than at a beer festival, that you have a real um, love for the social kind of role of, of a cafe. Exactly. The cafes, for me, are the heart of our society. It's so important. It's so important uh, 
for many, many reasons. First, but it's maybe not the more, the most important, it's uh, economical reason. It creates a lot of jobs. Uh, for cultural reasons, uh, this is totally obvious. It's, it's part of the places, the public places where the people go meet, uh, they enjoy life, they, they talk about politics, they make the revolution. Well, not in Belgium, we don't really make revolutions, but we could, probably. Um, whatever, it, it's, it's so important, this, uh, those uh, places for socializing. And, and I think the, in, in our societies, in our modern societies, more than ever, it's the most important places, especially in, in the, the, the virtual world invading our lives. We really need cafes. Um, also, for uh, I could say, yes, yeah, social reasons. Um, for many people, actually, the, their local, as the English people would say, their cafe, their pub, is like their new family, their second family, or for some, and fully their only family. And without the cafes, without the pubs, uh, a lot of people would be in total depression or desperate, or even would suicide. I know that for sure. And so those places are so important, and I'm enraged against our politicians that do nothing to support uh, the, the cafes. Actually, they do everything they can to destroy them. And it's a real shame. And our take on, on that is that we, we are on, on, on a very modest position, of course. We want to support the pubs and the cafes. And one way of doing that for us is to refuse to sell to supermarkets. We, 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 we are asked since years and years by the main supermarkets of the country to sell them beer. Uh, we said no, because I don't like the idea um, that the people could find our beers anywhere, easily go to their supermarket, then go back home, and sit in the sofa watching stupid TV stuff. Uh, if they like our beers, I want them to drink them through a pub, through a cafe I'm, I'm with other people. I'm hearing the kind of the, the social career come through here, mm. you know, the social role of a cafe, looking after people, mm. a place where people can come together. Yeah. Um, one of the things you keep mentioning in terms of the labels, in terms of the stories of the beer, in terms of, you know, how you're bringing your beer to the people is Brussels. Yeah. And, you know, it's in the names of the beers as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think you sell about 60% of your beer in Brussels, sure. another 20% in the rest of Belgium, and then maybe 20% export. Yeah. So Brussels is a big part of who you are. Definitely. You are called Brasserie de la Seine. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I mean, you're both Brussels people. I mean, is that something that you want to maintain? Oh yeah, big time. And actually, so far, we are very happy because uh, each time we have increased the production, the ratios between the places we, we sell to, uh, 63-20-20, stayed the same. The volumes are bigger, but the ratios are exactly the same. And we are so happy with that, and we hope that it will stay like this, actually. It's, 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 it's the goal. We want to be totally local. We, our, our dream, Bernard and I, has, has always been that all beers would be adopted by the Brussels people, and especially our main beer, our first beer, Zinne beer, which we call Brussels people ale. And, and actually, it's the case now. And, and it's it's uh, it's something fantastic. It's a, it's a dream come, come true for for us. Uh, you you um, speaking of cafes, you do brew a beer for a, a, a fairly well known cafe in Brussels. It's Verschuren. Yes. So yeah. you have the triple Verschuren. Yeah. And 
Um, I mean, that is a quite iconic cafe in its mm. history with connected to football. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of also got the Art Deco, but yet the old brown cafe feel to it. Exactly. So it's and, perfect uh, mix. Yeah. And I mean, uh, when I've, I've talked to some other brewers in Brussels and they've mentioned the kind of connection between some of the Brussels brewers and the Saint-Gilles football team. Mm. And are yeah. you part of that kind of group? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, along with uh, Cantillon Brewery and, uh, and Stummelings. Um, yeah, there, there is. To, to be honest with you, I don't like football or soccer, whatever you call it, um, mainly because of the supporters, who are in many cases, not all the cases I know, but like a violent idiots. And I, I, I really strongly hate that. Um, but uh, the supporters of Union saint Judas, they are the best supporters of the world. I wish we could clone them and that all supporters would be like them. Because they really like their team, they really are super supportive, but they are first of cool people, they like to party and they are extremely respectful, even from, for the, um, the other team and the other supporters. And all they want is, is to enjoy this uh, football moment, together um, and then party, drink and, 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 and have fun. And this is what uh, football should be for me in an ideal world actually. Yeah. And this is why we are so close to, to those guys. On, on a purely family level, the father of my mother used to be one of the biggest fans in the world of Union Saint-Gilloise back in the days. And the headquarters for the fans of Union was Brasserie Verskuren. So I know that he has spent hours and hour, hours drinking beer at Brasquivo. So it's nice for you that you can produce a beer for those guys. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. Also, I like the spirit that Brasquivo Skuren uh, have kept. Uh, they are in the heart of Saint-Gilles, which is becoming an extremely trendy uh, commune nowadays, with um, more and more bourgeois-like people or hipsters or whatever, trend, trend, trendy people. And they could have very easily become one of those extremely trendy, almost posh, a new posh, like a cafe. But they didn't lose their soul. They are still the same people. I know them since 30 years, maybe. They are still the same guy, still totally respectful for everyone and maintaining that very nice spirit that has always been there. And, and I have huge respect for them because of that. All, all my favorite cafes, uh, could keep that, and, and it's so, sort of the, what defines a Brussels cafe. A Brussels cafe is a nice place with some good beers, doesn't have to be like a beer bar or whatever. I prefer the places with a short list of good beer, and then of, of course you have the usual suspects, more classic Belgian beers. But what I like uh, in the real Brussels cafe is that all the social classes, all the social layers are welcome. There is only one rule, if you behave well, you are welcome. If you behave like an asshole, get out of here. And that's normal, it's fair. But I mean, and, and it's true, that uh, the best places, they accept hobos, homeless people. Uh, and I could name some places and some name of homeless people too, actually, where they are really welcome. And, and, it's, but again, and it's, it's not this, a problem. It's this sort of family, this kind of second family or sometimes only family. Exactly. And again, you're talking about the social uh, role of, of the cafe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's so essential, so important. The, the brewery is, is now currently based in Molenbeek. Mm -hmm. um, for people that don't know that, that area of Brussels, could mm -hmm. you tell them a little bit about the profile of that sort of region, that commune? Um, yeah, it's difficult to talk about it because there is not much to, to say about it. Uh, of course, nowadays, everybody sees Molenbeek as the world center for 
international jihadism. Um, but whatever, they are, they are in Modenbeek, like in, in many communes or parts of communes, sometimes of, of Belgium and, and probably Belgium, uh, you have invisible borders. And in, within the same area, you can have uh, sub-areas that are totally different against each other. And the place we, we are at in, in Molenbeek is, is that it's not at all the image the people would have. Um, it's an area for blue colors mainly and a lot of retired people. And honestly, it's, it's not an area in itself that is extremely exciting. Uh, there is not much to do there. I mean that if you don't live there or if you don't Is there, is there uh, a sense of community there, in Molenbeek? Um, sense of communities, maybe. If you put that in plural, it would maybe make sense. But you will never, and that's Belgium rule, never talk about community in Belgium, but about communities, uh, for sure. And, and maybe there, there, there is that. But the place, the area we are at in, in Molenbeek is, is really, there, there is really nothing special. I, I would say, without any condemn, that it's a little bit bland area, uh, without, with, with nothing special. The, 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 the kind of the time around the uh, Paris attacks, um, there was obviously a lot of international media attention on Molenbeek. Mm. Um, did you feel a lot of heat media attention mm. on Molenbeek mm. and, and people making statements or expressing opinions that were unfair to that part of Brussels? Yeah, for sure, because um, a lot of very bad things and, and, and it's a real scandal happened there and I but that's real politics and I'm not sure it's the subject um, but of course as usual the reality is so much more complex than what the media are telling us and so it, it's a it's a huge caricature of Molenbeek that has been given and that is extremely unfair but I'm not saying that uh, Molenbeek is paradise because that would be as unfair and untrue. Uh, as usual, the truth is somewhere in the middle of, of all that. You're now pouring the Bruxellensis. Yeah. Um, this is a fairly new beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. First Commercially batch, released. First batch was made in February uh, 2016. Thank you. And um, so tell me about this beer. Uh, actually, it's beer I really, really like, and, and it's a sort of a all dream come true for for me. So it's a beer with uh, primary fermentation made with our house uh, Saccharomyces yeast, and re-fermentation made with our house Brettanomyces yeast. Uh, it's we, we call it a, a bread pale ale, uh, if that makes any any sense. But the, the cool story behind that is that uh, this bread is really coming from the wild in Brussels, not, not coming from any bank. Actually, I have a friend who is a home brewer and in, uh, in the commune I live, uh, Saint-Gilles, and uh, she constantly, without really knowing, had an infection of her home brews with this wonderful uh, Brettanomyces. And the first time I was uh, put in contact with, um, with it, it was in a street party. Uh, she came to me, but some meters away, uh, with her last batch, and she cracked open the bottle, and the wind was going my direction, and I directly got this wonderful Brettanomyces smell um, coming to my, to my nose. And I asked her, wow, where did you find this 
wonderful bretonomyces. It's, it's the one I was looking for since ages. And actually, she didn't know what bread was at, at the time. And so I understood it was an infection that he's nothing to do there. So I took another bottle, and the next day I went to the brain school I studied at, and I asked a scientist I know Maurice. if she, yeah, Maurice, if she could isolate it, she could do it, uh, Anne Catherine, and uh, now it's kept for us. It's our house bread, and I asked for a genetic analysis to be sure who she was, and uh, she's a Brex scientist. No big surprise, but I wanted to be 100% sure actually. So it's obviously relatively new beer commercially released, mm -hmm. which means you haven't had time to see how that will play out over the course of time. Um, whether the bread no. character will change or whether there will be some more kind of fermentation. Uh, the, actually, the, the oldest we have now were bottled in February last year, and uh, they're still very good flavor-wise, so definitely the bread, uh, as it should be, is helping uh, aging the, 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 the beer. Uh, we, we keep every batch of, of it, and um, so far we only had good surprises. And for your primary fermentation, are you um, working with kind of commercial dry yeasts, or do you no. also do the same and kind of grow up, propagate, and have maintained in another facility your kind of house yeast? We, we have a house yeast. Uh, actually, I, I had very precise criteria for choosing my yeast, and I knew where to find it. So I went there. Uh, this was another brewing facility? Yeah, ex exactly. I went there because I know some people there and asked them, well, can I, I love your yeast so much, could I buy it and, and, and use it, would you agree? Said, they said, Yvonne, no way, you don't buy a yeast here. We give it to you, but you cannot tell where it has come from and you have to sign a contract for that, for not revealing its origin. Uh, and I said, Okay, I sang everything you want, but you have my word. This should be sufficient, you know. So, so which brewery was that? <laughs> Good trial. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. You, you, you have to try. Um, and so, of course, I signed the Yeah, and, and a quite famous one. And I, and I would make a big publicity naming them, but I will never do that, mm -hmm. you know, in my life. So I cannot name the brewery, I can, and, and I cannot give my yeast away by, by contract. And just because I gave my word uh, for, for sure. And actually this is where are we using her and uh, that this is our, our take on, on, on working with yeast. Yeast is not and will never be an ingredient in our brewery. Uh, she's part of the team. That's why it's not a it. I know in English language it's, it should be a it, but in my language she's a she and, 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 and it's like that. And, um, and she's part of the team. She's doing the hard job. Um, she's our employee of the month forever. I'm, Every month. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love her. Uh, sometimes I, I, I see myself talking with, with her. Um, and it's really, really not an, an ingredient. Malt, hops, water are ingredients, not, not, not yeast. And I want her to sign every, free, every beer we make. That's why we only work with her. And uh, instead of changing yeast all the time, a lot of breweries do that no, no, nowadays, but then your yeast is becoming in, an ingredient. Yeast is, is, is a, a microorganism that is alive, that is extremely, extremely complex. And for me, it takes a life, a full life for a brewer to get to know his yeast. I have only one life, I cannot have like 10 yeast. It's, it's just 
it's simple math. I mean, that, that's kind of math I, I understand. Um, and, and, and that's the reason why we prefer to adapt our recipes to her instead of changing yeast all, all, all the time. Now, no, of course, we have two yeast because we have a bread, but okay, we will yeah, be so able to, to end on is, that. Is there an element of fear at all as a brewer of introducing something wild into your kind of brewing space where you're mostly doing clean top fermented beers? Mm, of, of course, it's, there is a sort of a small danger, but the, the different things. For me, first, there are not many ways to clean. Or you clean well, or you clean badly. There is no gray zone in between stuff. It's well done or badly done. And we have, and I'm, I'm very maniac about hygiene, and we have a very, very, very high uh, protocol for hygiene in, in the brewery. Second, um, a Brettanomyces is, is not an alien. Uh, it's just a yeast. And if you clean properly, you should not have any problem with, with that. You know, in, in Belgium, uh, you are almost obliged to take back the empty bottles coming back from the pubs and, and, and the clients. And uh, what's in the bottom of those bottles is a million times more dangerous than a bretonomyces. There is also yeast that people would not think as being a, a dangerous infection, but are way more dangerous than bretonomyces. I'm talking about the so-called Saison yeast, I say so-called because saison yeast is, is, is a gimmick, it doesn't exist, but whatever. I mean, those yeasts that are extremely attenuative while being saccharomyces. There is no easy way to detect them. If they infect your batches, we have more problems than with bretonomyces because your microbiology uh, test will not detect it. Uh, you will take more time to detect the flavor coming from it, and the superattenuation will be even worse than with a bretonomyces. And nobody talks about another saccharomyces being a very dangerous source of infection, while, while it is, way more than, than any bread. So, no, I, I, we, we pay a lot of attention, but we are not like uh, freaked out by this nice little yeast. You know, as, as a, you know, a beer historian who has studied sort of the history of beer, especially in Belgium, mm -hmm. do you get frustrated with some of the kind of misconceptions of, uh, particularly around style history and styles of beer, for example, Saison, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. Wit beer is another example. You always maintain that uh, for, for a beer to be a real Belgian wit beer, there must be some sort of lactic yes, fermentation it's, it's involved. Must, without that, it, it's, it's not a generally historical wit beer. I mean, the style obviously evolved. But it's the same with all styles, right? Mm, there yeah, yeah. I mean, but what, I mean, some of the interpretations, for example, of Saison as well, mm -hmm. particularly in, in countries outside Belgium, mm -hmm. um, bear very little resemblance to the kind of modern Belgian saison, mm -hmm. that people like Saint-Fillon, Dupont, uh, Klaus and Thor, and these Blue, people Blue Blue are Excellent. making. Um, things evolve, but I mean, how do, you, how do you view that? Do you view it as frustrating that things are, you know, kind of people, they take on their own meaning in different countries, or is that a beautiful evolution of, of, of beer? It's, it's not always a beautiful evolution. Uh, first off, we, we don't have to take a position in Belgium like we would know and protect the style saison because we basically killed it first. And some of the very best and more genuine saisons now are made in, in the US, for instance. So let's let put this very, very clear. Um, other thing, and that's as you advocated, the same with all beer styles, it's an evolution in the, style, in the time. And so the question is, when do I stop in the time to make my, to set up my definition? So I'm more for a sort of a um, sub 
categorizes yeah. thing of, of, of the style. Like a loose interpretation if you can understand the history and where it's come from, mm. perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, but also you can you can decide, okay, I will make for me there are different periods in, in the in the saison um, history, for instance. And problem is that it's so complex that uh, throughout the history there have been a cohabitation of all those styles. Uh, if you take, I'm saying something, 1921, I can tell you that all the styles of saison existed at this at, at this time, all, all of them. So it's it's very complicated. But uh, something I don't like to see is when there is uh, an obvious uh, betrayal of the the style. And if we talk about saison. Uh, saison was were meant to hydrate the workers on the field in the summer. That's a classic story everybody knows. Um, but my point is, if you call a beer a saison, make a beer that is uh, thirst quenching. If you make something that is 12 ABV, super heavy, okay, make that beer. It's probably a very nice beer, but don't call it a saison. Or call it a double saison, for instance, because that's a, a name that is of style that has been used in the past. Uh, it shows an evolution of saison after the, the first world war, where they started to make stronger versions of the classical saison they were making before. So that's acceptable. But don't try to tell the, the people and your customers, oh, this is a genuine saison, when if you drink that on the field in the summer, it would simply kill you, I, I mean. So that's going too far. but. It's an interesting style to talk about because for me it's not a real style, it's rather a family of beer because you can go in so many directions. And it shows that there, there is a lot that can be done and a lot of creativity uh, can be used for making those beers, but it has to uh, be kept in some, on some tracks. So the raison d'être, the meaning of the saison should be preserved. It has to be light, uh, dry, thirst crunching and start from there and, and then be creative. No, no, no problem, of course. In the last, um, I would say, three to four years in Belgium, there has been some discussion, perhaps some controversy, about um, um, beer farmers. Mm -hmm. Beer farmers, uh, contract brewers. Um, we call them fake brewers. So you're going to call them fake brewers. So, I mean, Give me a kind of a, 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 an outline of your opinion on the matter because you have been fairly outspoken about it in the past. Mm. Um, I think that this business model is killing um, and, and will kill for sure the, the bring industry on, on short term. I see it literally as the cancer of the bring industry nowadays. And I know that these are strong words, but I strongly believe it. Um, Actually, there are many things to be said about that, but uh, the main one is that frontally or not, but all the fake brewers, they lie to the customers. They lie to their customers, and most of the time their customers are our customers. And, and it gives a huge confusion in people's mind. Because even if they don't tell the people directly that the beer is contracted and so made by someone else, uh, they manipulate the minds they create um, a communication frame that would lead the people to think that, oh, finally, somehow they are the creators of, of, of those beers. And the biggest lie they tell to the people is that because they created the recipe, it's their beer. 
It's the biggest lie that someone, someone can tell you about beer. It's not the recipe that makes the beer. First of most of the time, those guys, they don't even create the recipe. Sometimes they create zero. There's a guy that, who brews for them to do everything. Sometimes they just tell them, oh, please just put a little bit of uh, citra hops in there and the rest is yours. Sometimes, indeed, but that's very, very rare, they come with a, a very precise recipe. Can you please do that for me, etc. Et but so my point is to say, the recipe doesn't make the beer. When you have one goal you want to reach uh, about a, a flavor profile in a beer, you have always minimum 20 ways to get there. If you own your equipment, if you know how to brew, to brew if you have some uh, skills, if it's you who is taking all the brewer's decision, then the recipe maybe counts for, say, 15, 20% of the taste of the beer. If you don't even have that, it doesn't count for more than 2% of the beer. So that's the, the main lie that I see. And it, and it tells, it, 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 it's really bad because it's thinking that the customer is stupid and, and wanting to make him being more stupid somehow. But it's very black and white in your mind in that you are either someone who sends a recipe which is not really a recipe and gets manipulated by the contracting brewery, or you're a brewer and I mean, do you not see that there are um, there. Uh, kind of shades of grey and people doing different mm -hmm. things for different reasons across the board? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there is one example. The problem is that when you talk to media, um, in, in, in classic media, everything is to be summarised and, and go very fast. And, and, and that's bullshit. But uh, I can be way more nuanced. And, and, and there is one nuance to be brought, it's the people who don't own a brewing equipment, but who are using somebody else's equipment for making the beer themselves. Then it's their beer. So and people like Verzat, people like Hedonis, these types of guys? Definitely, we've been doing that ourselves, You're using the Ranke. I can even tell you that for our Jambes de Bois, the Ranke didn't have enough capacity at the time. Uh, every two months, I went to Thierrier in, in France, northern France, Brassier Thierrier, to make a batch of Jambes de Bois. So this is really no problem. Um, because uh, then you are a brewer, you use the equipment and you take all the brewer's decision that has to be taken all the time when, when, when you brew and you take the risks. Something I also don't like with the fake brewers is that when a beer is contracted, by contract, the guy who brews for them is obliged to sell them a beer that has no fault, no flavor, no infection, that they can directly resell. But so, the guy who takes the risk is the guy who really made the beer by in, uh, uh, via a, a contract. The fake brewer is taking no risk. And, and this is totally unfair. And it's unfair because some of them, they claim they are brewers and they do the same job that, than us. And that's not true. It's, it's unfair competition, actually. So, uh, but would your main kind of issue be the deception element that actually um, they're not being honest enough about where the beer is made and their role in it. Yeah, exactly. So if yeah, someone yeah, yeah. does have a beer contracted somewhere and is open about it mm -hmm. in the label and the way they talk about the beer, then that's not an issue yeah. for you? No, it's less of an issue, um, uh, of course. If, if, uh, if Something I would like to see uh, in a law is an obligation for the fig brewer to... Um, write black on white, and I'm saying black on white on the front label. So I repeat myself on the front label, not on the back label. This beer has been brewed by this brewery for this 
company. Not pale salmon on a red color because then nobody can really read it, okay? Uh, so it has to be obvious and clear. And then I have no problem. If the guy in question don't claim, does, doesn't claim he's a brewer, uh, it's, it's no problem. There are beer merchants. They own brands, they own beer brands. That, 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 that's fine. It's not a new thing. People have been doing that before them, especially in Belgium. The problem is that now it's a sort of a norm uh, and it gives the fake ID and the dangerous ID for themselves to some people that it's easy to become a brewer, to make beer, to put beer on the market. It's not easy at all, actually. And because of that, uh, but okay, that's maybe not my problem, but, but because of that, uh, a lot of people who, who started uh, a beer business, let's call it that way, uh, will have problems very, very soon. Because for them, yeah, it's so easy. Has that opinion um, made enemies for you? Has it has? Of course, I have a lot of enemies, and uh, I'm, I'm totally happy with that. Uh, I think that uh, it's the kind of enemies you have or not that defines yourself, and I'm fully confident with, with enemies, no problem. I have a lot of friends too, hopefully. Yeah, sure, sure, of course. But has there been anybody that you've kind of, you know, there's been, you have had an issue with perhaps that later you've seen, oh, actually, this, this, this person has now started a brewery, or I should have revised my opinion, or is that never the case? Um, no, there, there is. There, there are one or two people um, I, I've respect for. They started making the beer by contract uh, by, by by somebody else, uh, and step by step they uh, built their own, their own brewery. They, they really did it. Um, I want to say two things about that. First off, this is this maybe comes for. 5%, it's less than 5% of the beer firms. So sorry if I, if I seem to be rude for this less than 5%, but uh, it's communication. You cannot always be in, 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 the, in the nuance. Um, but also those people, they stayed quiet. The people I have a real problem with are the ones that are fake brewers, totally fake, but they spend the whole day on social media and classic media, and they, 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 they put that model, that business model, as being something normal. Because this is really manipulating the masses. And most of the time, the people doing that, that's their education. They've been in marketing schools uh, or financial schools or whatever. They, they, this is their real trade. They, they, they know how to communicate and how to make money. But I don't like the way they manipulate the, 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 the people and I mean, the media. Would you name any of these breweries or would you prefer not to name them now? No, I don't want to use position I've now to, to name people. Uh, it's, and, and also there are so many of them, uh, on, on, honestly. I, I, I counted that within a year and a half, we'll have more fake brewers in Belgium than real brewers. Uh, from that moment, for me, the reputation of Belgium as being the so-called beer paradise is totally destroyed, actually. It's, uh, it's massive. It, if it would only be one Scandinavian guy who had the brilliant idea to, to do that a decade ago, well, I would be totally fine with it. It's, 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 it's okay. But now it's like every single week there is one new faker on the market. 
and it's totally confusing for the people. And another thing I have to say about that, it's, uh, and it relates to the beer culture and, and, and um, the fight for the beer culture, is that uh, I told you a beer is not a recipe and what makes the beer, except for the skills of the brewer, it's the type of technology you use and equally important, the technology you decide not to use. And it can go in such a detail, like the geometry, the shape of a fermenting vessel will have a huge influence on the profile of a beer. In terms to, of production get, of esters or esters, type of fermentation? Esters, amino acids, uh, use, and, and a lot of things like, like that. It's huge, and it seems to be a detail. And that's only one thing, so I'll let you imagine what bring plant as, as influence on the taste profile. Of, of a beer. But there are only a very few breweries that are specialized in making beers for third parties. And, and those breweries, attention, I respect them. They are fellow brewers. They are extremely very good, good, good. One of them is probably the best one of Belgium. Okay, so don't get me wrong about that. I, I, I have no problem with those people. But, and they cannot help it, all the beers that are made there are more or less made the same way, even if sometimes they try new things and stuff, and some can be very creative. But so, when you ask one of those guys to make a triple or an IPA, to name two styles, you will basically have all the same kind of IPA and triple. And so it will give Lead a fake... A homogenous kind of exactly. uh, culture in, in Belgium. Yeah, it will give a fake impression of diversity, while it's totally, as you pointed, homogeneous. And that's not good for a beer culture. Beer. Let's open uh, the last beer. Sure. You've obviously continued to grow since you guys started. Mm-hmm. Um, that has brought you to Molenbeek, and it's now going to take you away from Molenbeek into a new facility, yeah. Touring Taxis, which you're going to be moving to at some point in 2018, I think. Yeah, hopefully before Christmas 2018, if we don't have delays, but this could happen. I mean, you, you, it, it, it's, you had a lot of problems opening up. You had a construction issue. You had a lot of administrative um, uh, burdens to overcome. It, it has been very difficult, especially because at the time it was not trendy in Belgium to open a brewery and uh, the, the, the authorities were not making a lot of efforts to facilitate that. The banks was looking at you with a lot of contempt, etc., etc. No, it just has been. And is it? Do you envisage the same level of difficulty with the new move, or do you think you're now more on top of, of things? No, it's way more easy now um, because beer since has become trendy. Uh, in, in, let's talk about Brussels. In, 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 in Brussels. Um, we are not a startup. We can show good numbers to the banks, and of course, uh, they will never really uh, give you money when you really need it, but only when they are sure you can bring them a lot of money. You know those guys. So no, it's um, it's it's quite it's, it's kind of easy. Are you excited about the new brewery? I'm ex- extremely excited, and I'm totally freaked out <laughs> at the same time because it's very complex. It's uh, it's big. Tell me about this last beer we're drinking, which is a Schieven IPA. Yeah, I, I brought it as a, as, as, as a joke, uh, only towards the people who know us, uh, because we are obviously not IPA, um, not an IPA brewery. Uh, we don't make IPAs normally for many reasons. First one is that everybody on the planet is making an IPA, and it's, it becomes a, a standard, and standards are boring for us. Um, 
it's also very rare to find good IPAs because most of the time uh, the people making, I, making them, except some very good American brewers, they don't have access to the, to the best hops, uh, especially in Europe. What we got in Europe uh, is something, are leftovers from America, and it's sort of normal life, no problem with, with, with that. Um, it's also uh, a kind of beer that, that um, has so many American hops that are very pungent in them that it can cover, as we said, many, many falls, and that's not our way of brewing. This said, uh, I love this beer and I love making it, and it's the second time we make it. We make IPAs when it makes sense, and here it makes sense because it's made with it's one a of collaboration our with yeah, an it's American co brewer. collaboration brew with one of our very best friends, uh, Jeff Bagby from Bagby Beer Company. He's in on in Oceanside, uh, San Diego. He's, he's an expert on the style. He's actually the guy who invented the black IPA, by the way, but that's another story. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. He's one of the best American brewers, uh, I think, because he, he makes the, the beers that are extremely balanced and with a very high drinkability. And this is exactly what we are focusing on. We make collaborations when it makes sense, when we share values with people and when there is some friendship. Actually, we are very often asked to do a collaboration from people we never heard of. We always say, no, come, have a drink, and maybe some friendship will, uh, will be born, and maybe someday we'll brew together, but we, we never say yes to such a request because it doesn't make any, any sense. Here with Jeff, it makes sense. Um, and also, it was very... It's a, it, we, we would call this an exercice de style in French, an exercise of style. I don't know if that makes sense in, in English, but it's a, it's a funny thing to do. But of course, um, well, two things. First off, we decided to use American hops that would be considered being old-fashioned you know, by the beer geeks. You know, beer geeks for, we, we always want the new hop. You're choosing the kind of non-sexy... New World Hops. Uh, yeah, but actually they are sexy to, to me and still to, 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 to a lot of very good brewers. It's a classic uh, Cascade Amario Centennial, but it's not the more trendiest hops nowadays because it's very old, you know, it's 15 years old that it used to, 15 years old for a beer geek, it's like uh, talking about two centuries ago, you know, it's too old. And we make jokes with, with that and we directly came to the same uh, hop selection with, with Jeff uh, because we, we we feel the beer the, the same way. But of course it's it's an IPA but we gave it a Belgium twist because it's fermented with our house saccharomyces mm -hmm. and it's also re-fermented in bottle and in keg unlike uh, the classic West Coast IPA. So it has definitely a, a clear Belgium twist. Um, Ivan, I have just one last question for you and that is um, do you enjoy what you do? Oh, big time! I could do no, no, no nothing else. Oh yeah, every single day, um, I'm happy to go to to the brewery. Every single day, I try to learn something on on my trade because the the, the beauty of being a brewer is that you are a, a, a student, a padawan for for life. Actually. Um, Beer is such a complex thing, such a complex beverage that nobody knows all about it. And, and if you like uh, your job, every single day of your life, you use it to learn something more about 
this wonderfully complex thing you, you try to make every day. Well, uh, hopefully the learning continues. I wish you all the success with the new brewery. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us. Uh, Santé. Thank you too. Santé. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.